0: So, this is the last day for Advent 2.0. An editorial appeared in the New York Times uh, on July 30th, 2011. It was written by Nicholas Christoph. And what, it, what made it unusual, uh, Christoph is a secular writer, and he praised evangelical Christians. He agreed that there were plenty of hypocrites among evangelicals that he had met, but he had some pretty kind things to say. Now, when, when you talk about evangelical, uh, usually in literature, it refers to people who believe the Bible is true, a high view of Scripture, and there are some correlating things like Jesus is the only way to God, salvation is by faith uh, through grace, it's trusting Jesus who paid the penalty for your sins. That's kind of describes what we call what is often called an evangelical uh, Christian. Now. Here's what he said regarding evangelicals. But, in, in contrast with the hypocrites, in reporting, but in reporting on poverty, disease, and oppression, evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their income to charities, mostly church-related. More important, they go on the front lines at home or abroad in the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, human trafficking, or genocide. And some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians. Interesting. Or, and then he says, or cons- conservative Catholics, similar in many ways, who truly live their faith. He says, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of those I've seen risking their lives in this way, and it sickens me to see that faith mocked at New York cocktail parties. Interesting for New York Times. You know what? I think Jesus would be pleased if that were said about our church. If that described who we are. It's a kind of reputation that lets the, know, lets the world know that we are his disciples. This is a kind of reputation that Jesus values in the passage at the end of Matthew chapter 25, the one we want to look at today. Because how we live makes all the difference. So let me just take a minute and review. It might take more than a minute to review the last four weeks. It started with a question in Matthew 24. that was that Jesus' disciples asked him, what's going to be like at the end of the age? A little dialogue there comes down to this. What's it going to be like? Jesus said there would be political upheaval. There would be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said there would be religious deception. There would be false Christs. People who would come out and say, I am the Christ. There would be false teachers. Jesus said that there would be environmental disturbances, things like earthquakes, which might lead to tsunamis. And famine, he said, would be common at the end of the age. He said these are just the beginning of birth pangs. Like labor contractions, you know, they start out and they get more intense and they get more frequent as, as the time comes for delivery. Jesus foretold that there would be a time of tribulation on earth. He said Christians would be persecuted and martyred for their faith. Jesus predicted that evil would increase and that people's love would grow cold. This is right out of Matthew 24 he warned his followers of a specific event. And this is one that sort of ticks off a time clock that's mentioned in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. It's like everybody's ear gets perked when Jesus says this. He says, watch out for the abomination of desolation. There's going to be a world leader we might call the Antichrist, a powerful world leader who's going to go into Jerusalem, into the temple, and he's going to proclaim himself to be God. And Daniel says, mark that out. Jesus says, mark that out. The end is near. It's coming. Um, Jesus also said that at the end of the age, there will be various signs in the skies. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavens will be shaken. Kind of know things are unstable at that point. Jesus used parables to teach uh, his followers to be on the lookout, to be prepared, and to be faithful until he returns. Our passage today shows us that there is a time coming when time will run out. It will be too late to change your eternal destiny. And so, you know, just a question I have for us today is, are you clear about your eternal future? When all is said and done, are you certain about where you're headed for an eternity? In this parable today, Jesus divides the world into two groups. It's always dangerous to divide the world into two groups, but when Jesus does, I'm okay. Two groups. One is a group of life, for life, and one is a group for death. One is a group for eternal life, and one is a group for eternal death. And the reason the church exists today is for the first group to help the second group become a part of the first group. That's why we're here, okay? And we're going to begin our passage, Matthew chapter 25. I hope you have a scripture uh, with you. And we always make them available right in the lobby as you come in. And uh, hey, there's a few guys that are holding them. If you would like a copy of the Bible uh, to follow along this morning, just slip up your hand and we'd be glad to hand one out to you because we're going to be in the text and that's how you're going to find where we are. Uh, anybody want a Bible? Just raise your hand. We're glad to give you one. You can pick them up every week as you come in. Feel free to do that. And we are on page 670. I just should have that memorized. If you use the Bridge Bible, it's page 670. Matthew 25 verses 31 through 33. Jesus begins in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. So if you follow on your outline in your program, number one is the return of the King of Kings. And verse 31 is the scene, the return of the King of Kings. Advent 2.0 is about the return of Jesus. The first advent was about his first coming. Second advent is about his second coming. There's a ton of information about the second coming, and there's a ton of information in the Bible about the events that will happen, and it's not super easy to put all the events together in a chronological order, and I don't pretend that I know it all, Um, but I know a few things for sure, and that's what I want to talk about today. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the King of Kings. And that's why I use that, the return of the king of kings. And we're going to see this develop. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, um, he will sit on his throne in heaven. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 30. This is something we've already covered. This is in this long discourse on Advent 2.0. At that time, the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Um, this is also portrayed by the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. A little bit of different information, but it's that event that Jesus is referring to. Jesus will be seated on his throne at this time because he is a king and he will be given a kingdom. Uh, let me just go back. In the Old Testament, David, the great king, uh, it was predicted that he would have a son, a descendant, that would reign on his throne forever. So this has to be a really unique person that's going to be on the throne, on a kingdom throne, a king who's going to reign forever. And that became a stream of messianic prophecy. The Messiah is going to come, and one day he's going to take David's throne, and one day he's going to reign forever. When Gabriel announced the birth of Jesus to Mary, he said, Your son is going to be a descendant of David, a son of David, and he's going to reign on his throne forever. That's a pretty unique prophecy for a mom. You're going to have a kid, and he's the one. Okay? When Jesus was crucified, why did they crucify him? King of the Jews. They did it in jest. They thought it was funny. And now the king is coming. Daniel sees the picture unfold in this way, Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. We've looked at this passage, but let's just see how it fits here. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. This is a passage that identifies Jesus in the New Testament. They don't know that in the Old Testament, but we know now. One like the son of man. This is a term that Jesus used of himself, the son of man, not a son of man, but the son of man most often. When he described himself, this is the term he used. He is both son of man and son of God. Son of man refers to his humanity. Son of God refers to his deity. He's both. He's not mostly man or mostly God. He's both God and he's both man. And he's man. Um, One like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. So this is a scene, coming in the clouds. Boy, it sounds a lot like Matthew 24. He approached the Ancient of Days. The Jewish people understood this is God the Father. This is a person, the Ancient of Days, because he's eternal and was led into his presence. Next slide. He was given authority. All authority under heaven has been given to Jesus, by the way, Matthew 28. Matthew 28. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. Sounds a little bit like Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, where every knee would bow and profess, confess that Jesus is Lord. His dominion is everlasting. That will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He's the king. And this is how Daniel described the king and his coming. Um, Jewish people in the Old Testament understood this was the Messiah. They were looking forward to this time. And they would hope that this Messiah would deliver them from all their enemies. Verse 32, the time, look at uh, verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from another as a shepherd separates sheep from a goat. This is going to be a judgment of the living at the end of the age. And by the way, I don't plan to be there on this day. I suppose it's possible, but I don't plan on it, okay? But this is, uh, describes at the end of the age, the Son of Man will separate for judgment, just like a shepherd. A shepherd separating sheep from goats. Common uh, picture in the ancient Mid-Eastern culture. No big deal. Oh, sheep and goats, yeah, I get it. There's going to be a group, group on the right, group on the left. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. I get that. We're going to see the sheep represent the righteous and the goats represent the unrighteous. And don't take anything about sheep and goats from this. It's just the way Jesus explained it. The sheep aren't better than goats. What we know about sheep is they're really stupid. They learn the hard way. That's probably fitting. for. Sheep is a term used for the people of God, Uh, In the old testament for israel it's also used for the people of god and being followers of jesus especially john chapter 10 he what he taught about he is the good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice and the key is they follow that's the key always is that they follow the nations here are people from every nation it means they're not jewish when you see uh, in the bible a reference to the nations. It means the Gentiles. It means those who are not Jewish. The order is in verse 33. He will put sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And uh, usually the place of, on the right side was a view of a place of honor, a place of strength, a place of favor. And uh, as I mentioned, sheep and goats were common animals. Sheep are used for people. Goats are not used for people except for here as far as I know. Question, so I said earlier, I don't plan to be there. Where is the church at the end of the age during this judgment? Uh, and the best answer I have is First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing. I did say the end of the age is complicated. So I don't have all the answers, um, but here's this one I think is clear. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant. This is to the church about those who fall asleep, those who have already died, believers who have already died, physical death, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Unbelievers don't have hope about eternity regarding the future. Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. By the way, that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of eternal salvation. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, a euphemism for believers, Physical death, fallen asleep, because one day he's going to be awakened. And next slide. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till, here it is, the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Next slide. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him forever. Jesus is coming back. It's really clear. There's a lot of information about Jesus coming back. In this scenario, speaking to the church, when he comes back, he's coming in the air and believers on earth will be caught up in the air to be with him. One of the terms that's used for this is rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the idea is they're somehow they're on earth and somehow instantaneously they're taken to heaven by Jesus. There's a resurrection of the church, dead and living, physically dead and physically alive. I personally believe this will take place before the end of the age. Uh, there's a distinction about the end of the age in Revelation 20, there's going to be a thousand year rule of christ on earth and i believe the church is going to be removed before that time if you don't agree with me i'm okay i'll tell you what here's what jesus wants us to know he's coming you can count on it and here's another thing you better be ready that's true whatever you think about the future those things are true he's coming and you need to be ready So another way to say this is: I study the book of Revelation. I don't think the church will be present from Revelation 6 through Revelation 19, where there's a, in Revelation 19, there's a wedding feast with the Lamb in heaven. The church is going to be there. Church isn't mentioned after Revelation 3. Um, okay, let's go to verses 33. 34 through 40, and this is the invitation from the king of kings. The invitation is for those who have prepared for his coming. The invitation is for those who are ready at the end of the age for his return. The king will say, verse 34, the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom, because he's a king, and there's a kingdom that's coming. And if you've ever prayed the Lord's prayer, you've prayed for it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because the kingdom isn't here yet with the king present yet. And he's going to rule, okay? Come, it's an invitation. Come, you who are blessed by my father, you who have had the father's grace on your life, take your inheritance. What's the inheritance? The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This has been the father's plan. He's working out. One of the amazing things about the Bible is We know how everything got started. We know where we came from. We also know where history is headed. We already know that. It's an amazing thing that God has told us how it ends, that he wins. No matter how bad your life gets, he's going to win. No matter how bad your life gets, if you're with him, you're going to win, okay? Verses 35 and 36, he gives the reason. The reason is based on service to the king. What is that about? Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me and I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. So this is the test. At the end of the age when Jesus gathers the people who are alive and he sets up a judgment on earth, and his throne is established, and it's going to be, how did you treat me? Now, one of the questions we need to ask, is Jesus teaching a work salvation, that you have to do these things to be able to go to the kingdom of heaven, or to go to heaven, or to be in his future kingdom? Is, that, is Jesus teaching, the way you get there, is by doing good things. Because a lot of people get confused by this. There's a lot of groups that are confused by this. A lot of churches are confused by this because they're hoping that they do a lot of good things and hopefully they add up to be enough and when it all is said and done, maybe I'll pass. If this were the only passage in the Bible, I would say it's probably going to be a works thing. But this... Is not consistent with what Jesus taught in many places. Read the Gospel of John where the word believe is mentioned 98 times. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's about believing in Jesus because he's the one who accomplished all the work of salvation. But let's continue. Reason is based on service to the king next the proof is based on service to the least of these 37 through 40 here are the questions then the righteous will answer him because they're so surprised the righteous will answer lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink when did we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you when did we see you sick or in prison or go visit you i don't remember seeing you at all lord I never encountered you face to face. And by the way, I've never encountered Jesus face to face either. I've never heard him audibly speak to me. And this group hadn't either. Notice these are the righteous. The group on the right, the sheep, they're surprised. They don't ever remember seeing Jesus. The proof is verse 40. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, the brothers of mine, you did for me. Oh, that's different. Whatever you do for the least of these, brothers of mine, you did to me. He's saying the way you treated people impacted him. You know, you know, we make a quick application here to the church because we are the body of Christ. And uh, God has indwelled his church. We are a living temple. We are a living body and we have the Holy Spirit in us. And Jesus Christ is our head. And Jesus is saying, if you serve the body of Christ and you serve one another and you love one another, you're loving me. Because I'm a part of all of this. Kind of an application uh, to us. But, he says, to the least of these, because some people are not as lovely as others, and some people are in greater need than others, and some people aren't as beautiful, and some people suffer greatly. And Jesus is saying, your love for me has demonstrated how you treat people. At the end of the age, there's going to be a specific group of people who are going to suffer greatly. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be martyred. They're going to be executed because they're followers of Jesus. And they're going to live on the run, and they're going to live in hiding. And I don't know, but I'm wondering if the least of these brothers of mine are standing before Jesus as he talks. They have made it through this, And there are going to be Jewish believers in this group. Those who come to faith during a time of great judgment and tribulation on earth. And he's saying to the nations, who some of them are followers of Christ. And he's saying, it's the way you treated these people during this great time of suffering. Did you care for them? Did you help them? Did you give them a drink of water? Did you feed them? When they got thrown in prison for their faith, did you go, did you go try to help them out? That's how I can tell if you have the real deal. That's why I can tell how Jesus can tell if you have the real disease is by the way you live. It's about fruitful living. It's about living out your faith. Um, this is what the Apostle James taught us in James chapter two, verses fourteen through nineteen. He says, "What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? You know, just that. Oh yeah, I believe. It's in my head. Intellectual faith. I believe." But if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds or works, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister... It just sounds like what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 25. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Next slide. If one of you says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. No, it's not about doing good works to be saved. But doing good things to serve Jesus proves that we belong to him. That's what uh, God has intended. Another way to say it is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10 this is a passage that we know really well. For it is by grace, God's favor, God's unmerited favor. You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. That's true. Salvation is a gift of God. I can't earn it. It's not by works. That's clear. So that no one could boast. You know, if it was by works, I could say, well, gee, do you know how many good things I've done? Do you know how many people I've helped? you know you, you want to how many funerals i've done and and uh, how many times i went to the hospital and how many times uh, i took a meal to somebody or you know i could just try to make this big list now what what would happen there i'd be boasting it's about me it's about what i've done that's not what it's about it's about jesus and what jesus did for me it's by grace however verse 10 this is where it, where everything is explained for we are god's workmanship that means God worked on us, and he changed us. That's what conversion is. I'm not the same person I was before I was 25. My life has changed. My very nature has changed. I am a new person. And the way Jesus taught is that I was born again. And the way Paul says, created in Christ Jesus. God gave me a new life. He created me in Christ, the church. He put me into the body of Christ. I wasn't in the body of Christ before. On September 29, 1974, before most of you were born, I was placed into the body of Christ, born again, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works, because that's when it starts making sense. That's why God made me, so that I would serve him. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. He already had a plan for me. I didn't even know it. And I became a follower of Christ and I didn't know I was going to be here today. You know? I didn't know I was gonna move to Eau Claire in two thousand and eight. I thought I was gonna be rich and famous and God prepared and there's a whole there's still things. I'm I'm glad he's not Even as old as I am, I'm glad he's not done with me yet. And he has things that he just, I get up every day and walk with Christ. I will just walk right in to some of those good works that he has for me. That's true for you, too. You get up every day, walk with Jesus, and you're going to walk right into the things that he wants you to do right where you are, okay? He may send you around the world to do something for him, but he just may want you to serve him wherever you are, in your dorm room in your job, at your school, with your friends, in your home. Sometimes we just need to serve our families because we can be pretty selfish at home sometimes. Sometimes I can serve everybody but Sue. Oh, yeah, she's important. I forget. Okay, uh, number three, rejection by the King of Kings verses 41 through 45. First, verse 41, the pronouncement is for those who prepared for the wrong kingdom. Some people prepare for the wrong stuff. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, that would be the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So uh, those on the left are those people who have never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There, are no, there is no spiritual connection to God. And they've been building their lives on the wrong things. And Jesus says, depart from me. Leave my presence. It's the last time you will be in my presence. Is that the judgment? Depart. That's eternal separation from God. And he described it as, he says, you're cursed. Go to the place of eternal fire. And it's a place that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20 calls it the lake of fire where the devil and his angels, and the devil's angels are demons, okay? And there's going to be a final judgment for them. And the people on the left are going to go to the same place. Um, You know, this isn't like politically correct to talk about people, some people are going to go to a place of eternal punishment, but it's just what the scriptures say. It's what Jesus taught. There is a way of life and there's a way of death, and we need to be clear about that. We need to be more than just nice people. Please be gracious in everything you do, but don't deny the truth. Uh, The reason is based on lack of service for the king. Look at verse 42. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. There was never evidence that they were connected to Jesus. There was never evidence that they belonged to God. There was never evidence that there was a spiritual nature that bore fruit. And again, this is a group right now Jesus is talking about that's in front of him on his left. They're before him, alive at the end of the age. And it's going to be about, you didn't serve me. Verse 44 and 45, the proof is based on the lack of service to the least of these. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, tell you the truth, whatever you did, not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. This group is also surprised by Jesus' words. They don't remember ever encountering Jesus firsthand. But now he's recalling who they missed, the least of these. They ignored the least of of these, This is kind of a sin of omission, something they didn't do. They didn't care for that group of people who were suffering at the end of the age as followers of Christ. And so there's no evidence that they belonged to the true and living God. Uh, so final conclusion for Advent 2.0, Matthew 25, verse 46. Matthew 25. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That's the end. That's the whole point Jesus has been moving toward. This is all about what the end of the age will be like. There's a time coming when the, the time will totally run out and there will be no more decisions to be made. And justice will be delivered by the most just person. In the universe. And it's not based on our vote or your vote. It's going to be the king, the all wise God. And he said this 2,000 years ago, and he's wanted his people to know it and to be ready. So, application. If you know Christ, live every day like today is the day our Lord will return. This has been his message from the very beginning. If you know Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, be ready. Be prepared. Live like today is the day. Now, you know, if you just go to the big picture of things, the whole thing about the rapture of the church or that 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 passage, I don't know of anything in prophecy that has to happen. Before that, that the next thing that could happen in God's timetable is that He could come for His church and take His church. And when the church leaves, it's really going to be hard to find faith in Christ. Because imagine that every believer in this room disappears. Every believer on campus, every believer in the city disappears and goes to heaven to be with Jesus when Jesus comes. And who's He going to leave behind? Imagine what the world would be like if the Holy Spirit is removed, that every person who has the Holy Spirit living in him or her is taken. And then everybody that's left are people who don't care. It's going to be very difficult to come to faith in Christ at that time. I wouldn't say impossible. I'd just say really, really difficult. And that's going to be a big tip-off that the end is coming. And so, again, it's about being ready. So the first application is serving the least of these, my brothers, is for those who are alive at the end of the age. Jesus is talking about them. He's getting them ready because there's going to be a group and they're going to go back to this passage. However, this also applies to us. We too are to serve uh, the least of these because that's Jesus' heart. He cares about people uh, who are poor and who are suffering and who don't have a relationship with Christ. This is a master's heart. And uh, you should, we also should take up the cause of the least of these. We should do it with our money. And, you know, a great example is uh, I know a lot of you are, are doing things with your money like uh, giving to Compassion International or World Vision or IN Network. There's a lot of good ways that you can use your money to help the least of these. Um, with your time, serving people. Some of you have gone on short-term mission trips and, and gone to under-resourced places, and, and you've just seen total poverty, and you've served. That honors Jesus. That's what he was talking about. And we have opportunities like that right here in our community to help people and serve people. And, you know, we've already done some things like Touch Twice, and a lot of you have been involved in that. Um, but... Um, There's a lot of ways that we can serve the under resourced people. The Bible has, we could do 10 sermons on um, serving the poor. Maybe we should. So, if you know Christ, live every day like today is the day our Lord will return. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, begin a relationship with Him today. You need to get connected with God, that's really important. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Remember, Jesus said, Matthew 24 and 25, he kept saying, after a long time, the master would return. And he hasn't returned yet. And some people go, oh, you're, you're, you're crazy to believe that Jesus is coming back. The Lord is not slow. I mean, he, he's operating on an eternal time clock. He's not operating on your clock. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. You know, God isn't excited about eternal punishment. God desires that people, he's patient, he wants people to come into that relationship with him. Not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance, to turn to him by faith. And, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's going to be a surprise. That's what Jesus taught. It's going to be a surprise. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. There's a time coming when there's going to be a final judgment. And the earth, actual, physical earth, is going to be changed. And I'm going to assume that that's going to take place right after Matthew 25 verse 46 okay next next slide since everything will be destroyed in this way what kind of people ought you to be that's the question this is coming what should we be like you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day and speed it's coming and that's what God's desire is for us as we wait and watch stay ready and to live in a way that's holy, that honors him. It makes a difference how you live. So, some of you here maybe do not yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd like to give us an opportunity today. I'd like to give you an opportunity today, if that's true for you, for you to place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you want to. Uh, so what must I do to begin a relationship with Jesus? And this is just going to be a review. You know, periodically, I just want to communicate the basic message of the gospel. As people come to the bridge, I just want people to know what this is so they can get connected to God. Uh, first of all, and we've, we've shared this in the last few weeks, admit that you are a sinner. Understand that you are a sinner. Romans 3:23: "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." That means everybody, every person, every human ever born except for Jesus, is a sinner. We fail God. We, we don't meet God's standards in our attitudes or actions. And so are you in that boat? Do you see yourself? Do you qualify? Are you OK with this estimate of yourself? If you're not, you're not ready. Secondly, understand the consequences of your sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. It's eternal death. In Romans 6.23, it's eternal death. Um, This is what's meant when Jesus described it as a place of eternal punishment. By the way, nowhere in the Bible is there a place where called purgatory or anything like it. It's life or death. Eternal life or eternal death. Uh, Thirdly, understand that Jesus took your penalty on himself. Um, You deserve to experience uh, your own penalty. The wages of sin is death. Wages are what we earn. If I paid you $20 an hour to come and Work at my house for eight hours, those would be your wages, what you deserve. The wages for sin is the penalty death. Death penalty, eternal death. Jesus took that penalty on himself. You and I deserve that penalty, but he took the penalty on himself. Romans five eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us for us in this while we were still. Sinners, Christ died for us. A lot of you have heard that over and over and over again, but do you understand what it means? It means He was your substitute. You deserve the death, but He was nailed to the cross and He took your death. When He died 2,000 years ago, He died for you, even though you weren't born yet. He's God. He can do that. Time is not a problem. The value of his sacrifice is not a problem because the value of his sacrifice is infinite and the value of human life is finite. There's a finite number of people. There's always going to be a finite number of people ever born in the history of the universe. And the sin penalty is always going to be finite. It's going to be huge. Jesus is bigger. His life is more valuable. Um, One of my favorite stories is about uh, Nicholas II, who was Tsar of Russia from 1868 to 1917 before he was removed, not at his own pleasure. He was executed. One of the things that Nicholas liked to do was to come upon a military outpost unexpected, and he would disguise himself as an officer and just hang out. And one particular night, he came when lights were supposed to be out, And he was just checking up on the troops. and He found a tent with a light on, a candle burning, and so he went inside. And there he found uh, a man, passed out at a table, uh, with an empty bottle and a revolver in his hand. And um, he recognized the man, by the way, because the, the paymaster was the son of one of his friends. And he could tell he was about ready to take his life, and so... He found some papers in front of him, and he began to read. And there was a list of debts that this man owed because he had um, taken money from the government to gamble and to have a fun life, and now it was all catching up with him. He couldn't pay. He was ready to take his life. Nicholas took out a pen. I imagine it was a feather pen. And he wrote, paid in full, Nicholas II. And walked away. And the man woke up and he recognized the signature because it was on a lot of government documents. And the next day, cash arrived and paid back the government from Nicholas. That's a good story. Paid in full. That's what you need to understand, that your penalty has already been paid in full. That's good news. You can't do anything for it. It's already done. The issue is how you respond to that. And uh, number four is to trust Jesus today to remove your sin penalty and to give you eternal life. To trust Jesus. Can you trust Jesus? He's, He's real. Jesus is not a dead savior. Jesus is alive. He was crucified. He rose from the grave on the third day and later he ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. He's alive. Can you trust him? He knows you. He died for you. He knows everything about you. Can you trust him to pay the penalty for your sin? All you have to do is respond in faith, to connect with him, to be pardoned, to know that your account is paid in full. You see, to be, you, you've been offered a pardon but it's up to you to respond to the pardon. You have to take the pardon to make it real, and you take it by faith. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, who was the Son of man, the Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, that whoever believes in him, not in a system, not in a church, not in a doctrinal statement, but in him, He who is Savior, he who is alive right now, shall not perish, experience eternal punishment, but have eternal life. And that begins the very instant you believe. It's a new life, a spiritual life connected with God and given the resources to follow him. Okay. I've taken a lot of time to explain that. I want to give you an opportunity, if you're here and you'd like to respond in faith. And if you're already a follower of Christ, I hope you will pray that this message will be really clear and that people will understand it and there'll be people who want to know Jesus. And one of the ways that you can respond in faith is with prayer. Prayer is a way to express faith. So... Um, I'm going to say a prayer, and if you've been here before, I'm going to say it two different times. One, so that you can hear it and understand it inside if it makes sense for you. And the second time, we're going to pray it, and if you mean business with God, you can pray along with me silently from your heart, okay? So the prayer is like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that. Thank you for sending your son Jesus who died for me. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the penalty of my sin. Thank you for the pardon. Thank you that it's been paid in full. I trust you right now. And I ask you to help me to be the person that you want me to be in the days ahead. It can be that simple. The the prayer is not magical, but it's a way for you to express your faith. Make it personal between you and God. Okay, let's uh, bow our heads. Everyone in our room, let's just bow our heads. And uh, let's pray this a second time. And if that prayer made sense to you, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. You want to have your sins forgiven today. You want to have eternal life today. Just pray with me silently from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. And I want to thank Jesus for Pardoning me that he paid my penalty in full. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for eternal life. And now, God, I just ask that you'll help me to live for you, to help me to be the person that you want me to be. And if you, if you prayed along with me uh, right now, if you prayed silently from your heart, would you mind just slipping up your hand so I can see it? If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Anyone else? Just Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, thank you so much for the message of the cross that Jesus died for us. I thank you for those who've raised their hands God, and um, I pray that you will show yourself strong to them today, that they might sense that they have been forgiven, that they have a fresh start, a new start today, that they might uh, sense that they have been given eternal life, that they might feel the forgiveness of sins, and to know that they are forgiven right now, on the authority of what you've said and what you've promised eternal life not eternal death father i pray for all of us and god um, may we be mindful of the least of these may we live today as if today might be the day that you will return in jesus name amen